Hi, good morning. My name is Maria Francis, and I am the Director of Stewardship here at Our Lady of Lourdes. Um, I just want to say thank you to all of you for coming here this morning to our ministry morning of recollection. I also want to say thank you for participating in the sign-up weekend um, the, for the prayer and participation weekend we had just about a month ago. Um, and so we try and do this several times a year for all of our volunteers, um, have a ministry morning of recollection so that all of our service here at the parish can be rooted in prayer. And so hopefully you'll join us again when we do this. But really, um, Father Brian will just speak with you, um, and then that'll really be it. So if you haven't signed in or taken the forms that you need, please do that before you leave. But other than that, if you ever need anything, feel free to give me a call. Um, and thank you for coming. everybody. It's kind of nice to have just some prayer time, I hope, for all of you. Um, all of our lives are just way too busy and we have way too much going on. And so adoration is going to start up this week uh, in the church, and I hope you'll take advantage of that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's it. Go home. Why don't we start, and we're just going to do, um, for our opening prayer today, I just want to read Psalm 23. Okay. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, we like to do these kind of mornings of, of recollection. Um, There are different trainings I think you, you all know about that you kind of can go through as liturgical ministers or people who are involved in ministries in the church. And those, those matter. We want to do things in an excellent way. But what we also want to do from time to time is just step back and just enter more prayerfully into what is happening in our day-to-day -day lives as Christians and what things that Lords are really all about. And that's what I hope to do with you this morning. And... I think it's providential. I hope it is. We'll see. Um, so I was praying about what to talk about today and what to share with you. And today's, uh, this weekend's gospel, the Sunday gospel, is the prodigal son. And when you preach about the prodigal son, 
you just can't go into the depths of it. As with many of the texts in the gospel, in the way that I would like to. And so what I want to do today is I want to dive a little bit deeper into the story of the prodigal son in a way that is so life-giving, I hope. It should be, because it's not mine. I didn't write the prodigal son. Jesus did. So it should be life-giving, I hope. But I also want to apply it to what, what is our mission here? Why are we doing what we do? You know, if we're just here to kind of make things not, you know, be kind of a disaster, that just kind of gets old after a while. And what I want to show you, what I want to invite you to today is to renew your commitment that as a, a practicing Catholic, you have a mission that you share in with me, with Archbishop Aquila, with Pope Francis, and ultimately that all of us have been invited into that mission and the identity of Christ himself. Uh, and I think the prodigal son's going to help us to see that. By the way, there undoubtedly will be overlap with my preaching this weekend, but I have no idea how because I'm not sure what my sermon's going to look like yet this weekend. Okay. What's a parable? Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son, and I just want to start with that. Parable is what they're meant to do in the New Testament. Really important things. Parables are not just stories. Parables, and uh, scripture scholars spend a lot of time talking about what parables are. And what they're meant to do, what Jesus does in parables, is he invites you to change the way you view yourself in the world. When Jesus tells a parable, he invites you to see yourself in a new way. Because what all of us do is we all tell stories about ourselves, right? And I, this is a whole other talk that I've probably given before, um, but we live by stories, right? God created us. There's a great, um, what book is that? Uh, I think it's Elie Wiesel's book, Night. In the beginning of that book, there he quotes the Mishnah, and there's one rabbi, it's not a joke, you know, one rabbi says to the other rabbi, it's not a joke, it's actually a real <laughs> quote from the Mishnah, and one rabbi asks another, he says, why did God create the world? And the other rabbi says, because he loves stories. Um, and we love stories, that's why Hollywood is so wealthy, is because they are master storytellers. Christians are master storytellers. And all of us as human beings, what we do every day is we tell ourselves stories. We have stories that we tell about our lives, stories about the world, stories about God, stories about our country, and we live inside of these stories. Some of them are true, some of them are not. Most of them are mixtures of both. So for instance, right, I'm, and you all know this, but I'm a melancholic. So most of the time, I tell myself a story about how everything is going to go wrong eventually, and the next band of barbarians will come over the mountainside and destroy civilization in a few moments, right? And I'm just waiting for that to happen. Um, when Jesus tells parables, he's inviting us into a different story. He's inviting us to see the, the, the real story of your life and the real story of the world is a different type of story. 
Okay, so Luke 15. And this is what we'll have this weekend when you come to Sunday Mass. So it's, Luke 15 starts this way. It says, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Right? The tax collectors and sinners are drawing close to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. That's critical. That introduces everything that's going to follow. It's, it's kind of cold in here, isn't it? Okay, and ladies, you're like especially cold, because if I'm cold, like, you're probably freezing. Okay. Anyway, that's good. You won't fall asleep. <laughs> so that's the context, but then Jesus, and it's really interesting the way Luke frames this. He says, and I, I will hear this, this this Sunday, so the, the sinners are coming near, and the Pharisees and the scribes, they don't like this. And essentially what the Pharisees and the scribes are saying is that they're saying Jesus doesn't take sin seriously. God's commandment forbids sin. And it seems like Christ is not taking this seriously. That's what the Pharisees and the scribes are upset about. And the interesting thing, so it says, Luke tells us, he says, so he told them this parable. And here's the wild thing. If you've studied this, it's so interesting. Luke uses the singular there. So he told them this parable. And then Jesus tells three parables. Right? It's a little bit like my homilies, right? <laughs> you think you're going to get one. So then he told them this parable. And here's the beautiful thing about Luke 15. The three parables, and we're going to see a number of really powerful things here. All three of those parables are the same parable. They're the same parable. So Jesus tells the two first ones are very short, and then the third is what we call the prodigal son, which is much longer. He told them this parable. The first one is the parable of the lost sheep. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has, a lost, has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes together... He calls, or, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. This is interesting. This is why we started with Psalm 23. Psalm 23, very interestingly, lines up with all three of these parables. In Psalm 23, there's a line, most of our translations of Psalm 23, uh, they say at one point, um, he restores my soul. The Lord restores my soul. The Hebrew word there, it 
works, but a better translation, and, a, and the one that's much more ancient, the way we always used to translate that, and it really is a better translation, is it says, he causes my soul to repent. He causes my soul to repent. And to repent means to turn, right, to turn around and to go back. It means to change. Right, and so in this, in, the, in Psalm 23, you have, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In verdant pastures, he gives me repose. He leads me beside the still waters. He causes my soul to repent. In the first parable of Luke 15, right, you have a lost sheep that's going to be brought home, right? And then finally, and we're going to see that obviously that that's going to be a symbol of repentance in the story of the prodigal. And all three of these parables, all three of them end, well, actually two of the three, two of the three end with rejoicing in a great party. There's something that's lost. And I, a couple other things here. The, um, I just had a brain freeze. Um, oh, that's it. So all three have something that's lost, right? You have the lost, and really we call it the prodigal son. I think it's better to say, I don't even know what the word prodigal means. When you hear Luke 15, it's great to think of the lost sheep, the lost coin is the second one, and the lost son is the third. Each parable has something that's lost. The second one is a lost drachma, which is a silver coin. And it's, and it's interesting, the parables move, there is a, there's a progression in them. The first parable, there's a hundred sheep, one of them's lost. The second parable, there's only ten coins, one of the ten is lost. And in the third parable, there's two sons. And so you go from one out of a hundred to one out of ten to one out of two that is lost. And there's a, there's a growth in the importance of what's lost. Right? There, there's a growing proportionality in these parables. And then this, the last thing here I want to mention is that every one of them, and the, the first two, right, and we heard this in, in the first parable, When the shepherd finds his lost sheep, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, calling them to rejoice with him. In the second parable, the woman who's searching for the coin, when she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, same phrase, saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I have lost. That term, friends, there in, we know in, in Jesus' time, there were these small groups of serious Jews. And if you were someone living wherever you lived in Israel, if you were a serious Jew, very commonly there were these groups that got together and they, they formed little groups. And they called themselves the Haberim, which means the friends. And almost certainly... That's these groups of scribes and Pharisees that Jesus is speaking to. And so the scribes and Pharisees, are, they're murmuring because Jesus is welcoming the sinner back. 
And the serious Jews, the Haberim, right, they're murmuring against this. And this is interesting. And here's a quote about this. It says, in Jesus' day, across the villages of Galilee and Judea, there were associations of serious-minded Jews who called themselves the Haberim, which means the friends. The name was taken from Psalm 119, verse 63, which says this. It says, I am a friend of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. Which is beautiful. Right? All of us should desire that, right? Psalm 119, verse 63, we should desire to be friends with those who love God, who keep his law. So in each of these parables, right, this is, this is a specific context. Jesus, in this one parable that is three, that's like a trinity, um, they all end and there's a call to the haberim, to the friends, to rejoice. Now here's what I want to do for you today. And as we, we pray about this, there's two things I want to happen this morning in this brief time we have together. The first thing is always for your own life. Right? The most important thing we can do at Lord's, everything we do, right? If you're a lector, right? The reason we read the Word of God as best as we possibly can, as clearly with the proper emphases, not uh, overly dramatic, but also not monotone, Right? The, the reason we do that ultimately is so people will grow in union with Christ and in holiness. And the more you do that, right, you're going to get it. If you're someone who has that union, if you're going deep in your faith life, if you have union with Jesus, if the faith lives in you, that's contagious. And that's going to show, I know it sounds odd, but it's going to show in the way you greet people at Mass. Right? It's going to show in the way that, I don't know, in the way that you give the sign of peace, in the way that you sing, in the way that you read, whatever it is you're doing, in the way you set out the, the different things for Mass. People notice that. They can feel it. They can say there's something different about that, that person I encountered. The second thing today is, is specifically for us. And this, this parable is so great about why does Lord's exist? You heard me, I preached about this a couple weeks ago. Lord's exists to reach the lost. Right? And the first thing we have to do, right, parables invite you to see the world in a certain way. They invite us to understand a story in a new way. In this story, I think we always have to remember, we, we're both sons at different times. We, I think we all know that. But you are the prodigal son. Right? The more that you see yourself as the son who was lost and has been found, right, that's when you stop looking at people who show up to Mass you know, 45 minutes late right, and still in the middle of a homily. Right? That's, when you, that's when you're able to look at them and you don't have any judgment for them, but you're just so glad they're here. Right? Or people who annoy you at Mass or whatever else it is, the person who, who somehow doesn't fit for whatever reason, we need to be, I want us to be the most welcoming church in Denver where they say, you know what, that felt like the prodigal son. I felt like I was loved there, I was welcomed. 
Okay, so just a couple of things. You all know this parable, but I want to invite you again, like always, to see it with fresh eyes. And I want to share with you something I normally, am, I just normally can't share with because I don't have time. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus, what he does is he takes stories that people know and he transforms them. The story of the prodigal son is not a new story to the people he was talking to. It's not a new story. It's a story they would know well that Jesus is going to put some twists on. So, when Jesus says a man had two sons, he said there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that falls to me. Right, so you have, a, you have two sons, and one of them asks improperly for an inheritance. Now, can any of you, can anybody know what, there's an Old Testament story that is exactly that story. When is there a story in the Old Testament where there's two sons, and one of them asks for an inheritance in an improper way? I love it when you whisper. <laughs> Absalom? Not, yeah, Absalom does that too, actually, but I'm not thinking of that one. Jacob and Esau. Right? Jacob and Esau in Genesis 27, right, is the same story as the prodigal son. And here's what's so cool about this, but I want you to see, this is a parable today about that all of us are supposed to take individually but even more profoundly, Jesus' story of the lost son is not just a story about one person. It's a story about a community. And here's why. Because Israel, right, Israel takes its name from Jacob. Right, in Genesis 32, God changes Jacob's name to Israel. Right, that's the story in Genesis 32 where Jacob wrestles with the angel all night, right? And then he's renamed. And God says, from now on, your name will be Israel, which means he who wrestles with God. And so when, when there's stories about Jacob, in the first century, when you tell a story about Jacob, it might be just about him, but it's always also about the nation called Israel. A nation called Israel. It's about the whole people. Jesus' story of the lost son is meant to speak to us as a church. Not just Father Brian Larkin, not just each of you, but us, our communal identity. Okay, Jacob's story, and just a couple of things. I'm going to go through this fairly quickly. I don't want to spend too much time this morning. But so powerfully, uh, Jacob's story, right, is a story of growing up in a house where he is loved by his father, Isaac, where he rebels against his father, where he goes into exile, and where he returns. Israel, now that, that's Jacob Israel, and, and that runs from Genesis 27 to 
Genesis 35. That's also the story of the nation Israel. Right? Israel and its history is going to be a nation that grows up in the father's house. They're going to go into exile not once but twice. Right? They go into Egypt, is the one we know probably better. And when they go into Egypt, and really interesting, I was reading about this a little bit this morning. In, in the story of the prodigal son, right, the, the son goes into a far country. And again, we have to hear these with first century ears. When he goes into a far country, Israel did that twice. They went into Egypt and they went into Babylon. Right, and as, the, and as the prodigal leaves his father's house, right, he goes and he spends all of his inheritance on loose living. Later on, the older son, when the prodigal returns, the older son is going to say that he spent his inheritance on prostitutes. The prodigal, it says when he's in that faraway land, right, he has nothing, he becomes destitute. There's a famine in the land, and he begins to grow, become someone who is in need. And so, what does he do? You all know the story. What does he do when he becomes in need? Okay. Thank you, Kevin. Yeah. You probably, probably like 20 people said that, but everybody whispers. Um, that's okay. I understand. Yeah, he, 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 hire, he joins himself to a wealthy citizen who sends him out to feed his swine. Right? <clears throat> Which, for a Jew, you could not say rock bottom in a more vivid image. And I just want you to pray with that today. Whether, whether you're someone who has a pretty clean background, right? Like, I don't have the story of, you know, the, the, I wish I had that, like, cool testimony. The person who's like, yep, I was a crack dealer on the streets of Memphis, you know, and I lost everything, and then I had this amazing conversion, and I came to Christ, and now I'm, you know, squeaky clean. I don't have that story. You might not have that story, but you do. Right? You do. Every one of us, our sin makes us destitute. And that might be in a very obvious way, or it might be in a more subtle way. And I think you need to pray about that. And again, this, this parable is a communal parable. Right? Think about our church right now following the scandals. Right? Our sin, and most especially the sins of the hierarchy, but, but I think if we're honest, don't we all know that the Catholic Church has been asleep at the wheel for 60 years? And that's not just the fault of priests and clergy. Right? The, church, the church has been asleep at the wheel for 60 years. And she has become destitute. Right? She's been in a foreign land. And I think this parable, it just really speaks to where we're at today. And then she comes home. And it's really good. I think God, you know, some of us, 
I think when, when the scandal happened, the reaction of some Catholics was, oh my gosh, we have to protect things. We have to protect, you know, the money that's in the church and the buildings and whatever else. Um, sometimes it's the father lets his children lose everything because it's what's best for them. Right? Because it's what's best for them. Right? And, and I think especially, you know, it's kind of ironic to talk for me to talk about this with our beautiful brand new church. But maybe on that spiritual and human level, um, one of the things, I just saw a headline, I didn't read the article, but I saw a headline about this and I, I imagine I can think where it's going. But it was talking about priests or seminarians today. And just kind of a, a joyful kind of response that there are certain times in church history where if men enter the seminary, there's a lot of incentive to enter seminary. People are going to think you're, you're an incredible guy, and wow, look at how honorable and how self-sacrificial. And this, author, this writer was saying, what a beautiful thing right now that there are men entering seminary at a time when the church has been humiliated. And I thought that was so true. And that's true for all of us, right? That the, the scandals right now, if you make the sign of the cross at a restaurant, there's, there's just this kind of a feeling there that wasn't there before. Right? People might not have liked Catholics before, for, but, they, but now when they see you, there's just a stigma attached to that. So Israel's story is a story of of being rebellious in the Father's house. Right? They wanted something else, of looking for something outside of God, something different to fulfill them, and it makes them destitute. So the prodigal goes destitute. He feeds swine, just like both in Egypt and in Babylon, the Jews in both of those places are slaves. And I know, I don't know if you think this, I say this most years when this comes up. The story of the prodigal son, when, before I was a priest, whenever it came up at Mass, you know, you're at Mass on Sunday and the, the priest or the deacon gets up and Deacon Darrell says, there was a man who had two sons. And every time that happened, I would roll my eyes and I'm like, oh my gosh, the prodigal son again? Um, I don't know if you do that. You're probably holier than I am. But there's a reason this parable comes up so regularly in our readings. Because it's so central to the heart of the gospel. Century, ever since the 4th century, St. Jerome says this. He calls the prodigal son the gospel within the gospel. The gospel within the gospel. This little story is right at the heart of everything Jesus' good news is about. Okay, how else, how do we really know that this is really about, there's one way we know this is really about Jacob and Esau, and it's a retelling of that story. Okay, if you get the, if you can answer that question, like, I don't know what I would give you, but I will be odd forever. Does anybody know how we know it's, and not just that it's two sons, anybody know how there's like a very clear way we know this is an allusion to Jacob and Esau? 
Say it for, again for us. Okay, that's, the inheritance is related, but that's not what I'm going for. There's a very, very clear one. This is like the professor read my mind. Okay, that's not fair. I'm sure I taught you that. <laughs> yeah, but that's right. That's right. So in, in the story of the prodigal, this is so powerful. It's so beautiful. Guys, this is awesome. I know it's Saturday. Enter into this. So in verse 20, right? So, and there's all these great lines we're not going to hit this morning in this because we'd be here for an hour. Um, in verse 20, the prodigals in that foreign land, he arose and came to, his, he rose and came to his father. The word there that he arose is anastasis, which is resurrection. Right? Moments of conversion, and this is all over the New Testament, moments of conversion where you come to yourself are moments of little resurrections. Right? They're moments where we come to life again. He arose and came to his father. But while he was yet at a distance, his father saw him and had compassion. It says he ran and embraced him and kissed him. But here's the thing. It doesn't say he embraced him. That's a, that's a too weak of a translation. What the Greek says here is it says he fell upon him. He fell upon him. In Genesis 33, 34, Jacob now has become Israel. And in his exile, he's learning how to repent. He causes my soul to repent. He comes back, and in, Exodus, or in Genesis 33, Jacob, now there's a difference, right? Jacob comes back, Israel comes back to his brother, not to the father. And so Jesus, what he does, he takes a familiar story and he's going to twist, make some certain twists about it. So Jacob comes back and there's a lot to this story we could spend a lot of time on. But Esau, remember Esau's the older brother that Jacob robbed him of his inheritance. Right, the, the Jacob and Esau story in Genesis 27, right, Isaac calls in Esau to give him his blessing. And remember Jacob, he takes like a goat skin, if I remember, I think it's a goat skin, and he plasters it on his arms so that he'll feel like Esau. And I always think Esau had to be the hairiest dude <laughs> in like the history of the world because Isaac says, let me feel your arms. And he feels the goat skin. He's like, yep, it's Esau. I'm like, holy, you know what? Not in the church, but like, Esau was a hairy, hairy man. So Jacob does that, and then he, and so uh, Isaac, his father, gives the younger son his blessing and his inheritance. Right? So he steals what is not his. The prodigal son, right? And when you've all heard it before, asking for his inheritance before his father dies, 
is asking for his father to be dead. Give me the inheritance. Right? Jacob in Hebrew, that word means deceiver. Names mean a lot in the Old Testament. And Jacob, literally, he deceives. That's what he does. He deceives his father. He deceives his brother. He deceives his uncle Laban. Jacob is a deceiver. And his name, then, while he's in exile, right, and this is so much at the heart of the story of what it means to be a Christian, right? Jesus, this weekend, he's going to invite us into that story, that my story is not just the story of someone whose life is hard and doesn't get everything he wants. My story is the story of the prodigal son. This is my story. His father saw him, had compassion. He ran to him. He didn't embrace him. He falls upon him is what the Greek says. And in Genesis 33, verse 4, it says, Esau ran to meet him, fell on his neck, and kissed him. Which is exactly what it says in Luke 15. Those are the only two places in all of Scripture where that happens. Does that happen anywhere else? It's a clear reference to this. There's so much more we could go into, but I just want to wrap this up. And I just want to say this. I think this is really timely right now and it's for our church. All three of these parables, as we, we talked about, there, the three parables are one. The first two parables, and all of them end with a party, right? The father throws this huge celebration. He says, go. And there's, there's so many things we could talk about. He puts shoes on his feet. Because in the ancient world, only, he's, he's barefoot by this time. If you see the Rembrandt painting, The Return of the Prodigal, super powerful painting. And the son is in rags. The world has torn him up. He has learned the lesson that all of us are supposed to learn. All of us are supposed to learn that the world can't fulfill you. In fact, the world makes you poor. One more point about that. Jacob, and this is where the story gets twisted. Jesus changes it, and I love it. He does it intentionally. When Jacob returns, he's wealthy. When he returns to the promised land, and by the way, Jacob, there's so many details here. Jacob is the only patriarch in Genesis. He's the only one who is from the promised land and has to leave. He's the only one who goes into exile. Starting with Abraham, Abraham is from right, Chaldea, and he's brought into the promised land. All the rest of the patriarchs stay there because it is the place of God's blessing. Jacob is the only one whose sin drives him out. He's the only one. Jacob comes back wealthy, and as he's approaching Esau, he sends gifts. He's super wealthy, he's, and he's scared that Esau's going to kill him. And so he sends gifts ahead of him, and he's still, he's still a pretty broken figure, Jacob has, I forget how many wives at this point, I think three. I'd have to look at it. And he's, he's doing this terrible thing where he plays favorites. 
he puts his slaves first, and then he has a hierarchy of who he loves the most going backwards towards him. Right? Wouldn't you hate to be like one of Jacob's wives or sons who is like at the front of the line, the most likely to be killed? You're like, well, I know where I stand. <laughs> right? Um, but he sends all these gifts out. And the big point I want to make with all this is that Jacob's wealthy. He sends all these things. Israel's wealthy. The prodigal is destitute and poor. And I think that Jesus told this parable very intentionally that way to say that none of us, no matter how squeaky clean you think you might be, no matter how awesome you are, right, all of us, our sin makes us beggars before God. Right? And I think that's where God wants us right now. There's, a, there's an old song I like. It's one of those like cheesy Christian songs that most people hate now. But there's this beautiful line in it where he, this guy's going after the health and wealth gospel. And he talks about how there's some preacher saying, you know, following Christ will make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. And it's really powerful. He says, <laughs> he turns to God and he's in the song and he just says, is that really what you want? And I don't think he does. God wants us to know that we're poor. Right? That all of us are poor. And so the sandals, so this prodigal son is barefoot when he comes home, and the first thing the father does is he puts shoes on his feet. Because in the ancient world, only slaves go barefoot. If you're barefoot, it's a sign you're a slave. The ring that he puts on him is a symbol of authority to do business in the family name. Which is amazing, right? After everything that's happened, when he's squandered the, the, the wealth of the family in immoral living, that the father restores him to that. Absolutely amazing. So Jacob returns, the prodigal returns. Um, so we'll just wrap up with this. I really encourage you, this is both about, it has almost like three aspects I wish we could see this from. One is your own life. Understanding your own life this way and your relationship to God this way. Right? That I am a, I am a destitute sinner who has been redeemed and welcomed home by the Father's love. Right, that's so important. And that's a message. So the second, which leads into the second, is that that's us together. <laughs> right? I am not a Catholic. None of us are Catholics with this scandal going on. None of us are Catholics because we thought Catholics are perfect. Right? We are Catholics because we were born in the Father's house. Right? Being a Catholic isn't about any one human being. It's about Christ and it's about the Father. But we're in that place right now as a, as a church where we've been the prodigal son and I think, I hope, I pray that we're coming to ourselves and we're saying I will arise and I will go to my Father's house. And then the third, and this is the most important. Well, they're all important. Maybe it's not the most. But flowing from that, this is why we exist. Right? I don't know what it's going to look like in the next 
however many, I have seven more years of Lourdes. I don't know how that's going to look in my time. But I am convinced, right, there are so many people who don't think they could ever be loved. That are hungering for this. And so many people encounter in churches the, the older brother. Right? We can't let that person in. They have not lived the right life. And the prodigal son's story ends very intentionally. I love how Jesus, what a masterful storyteller. Jesus leaves the story with a cliffhanger. The first two parables end with the friends and neighbors come into the house and they rejoice. The prodigal son ends with a cliffhanger. It ends with the older son outside being invited in to rejoice because the lost son has come home. And the story doesn't tell us, right? It doesn't tell us if he ever went in or not. Just like at the very beginning of Luke 15, the Pharisees and the scribes, the friends, the Haberim, they're outside. They're murmuring. Right? And, and as the church goes forward right now, there's an interesting line you and I have to walk. The church is waking up and remembering that the church's teachings that we've always had are good and true and beautiful, and we have to follow them. And we have to be faithful to them. And there is a reason for every single one of the rules the church gives us. But, right, the mercy and the love of God come first. They come first. They always come first. Right? When the prodigal returns, he's going to follow the rules in the father's house. But first, his first experience is the love and the mercy he doesn't deserve. Okay, that's all I got. I hope you'll join me, with me in that. I think you will, but I hope... Today, I hope this is somewhat helpful. I hope this can be something you pray with, right? And that you'll be on mission with me. Whatever ministry you're involved with here, Lord, or even if you're not in one, right? That, that our, our mission as Catholics is not simply something practical we do. Our mission as Catholics is to be people who welcome outsiders into the Father's house. Right, they're oftentimes they are destitute, they're in rags, they don't have shoes on their feet, right? They have really, really, really broken ideas about sexuality and friendships and about money and about whatever else, and they're really broken. Um, and our job as the church is to remember that it used to be us, right? That was all of us uh, until we came home. Okay, beautiful. Let's say a prayer, and then, I don't know, I'll hand it off to Maria, and we'll go from there. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus, I... <clears throat> yeah, let me turn. We just pray, Lord, that... Uh, and I pray that you would help me and all of us. Jesus, help us to remember how poor we are. Lord, help me to remember that I am that, that son who 
who has no shoes. And that I really need your mercy. Lord, we pray in a special way for anyone either here at Lord's, those who don't come here, those who live close to us. Lord, any soul that, that is in that state, Lord, we pray that we could be images of the gospel, that we would rejoice, uh, that they might come home to you. Lord, make our church one that shares in that mission. Make us a church that has risen and coming back to you and one that welcomes the outsider. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Lords, pray for us. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Um, okay, so once again, just thanks to everyone who came. Um, lecture training will start at 10.30. There is coffee and donuts left over in the back, and also water, so on your way out, feel free just to stop and get some refreshments and um, just chat and meet somebody you don't know yet. If you didn't sign in and didn't fill out forms, if you haven't done that yet, please do that before you leave. Um, but other than that, um, once again, just thank you so much for your service to the parish. Um, and your ministry coordinator should be in touch. So once again, just thank you so much for coming this morning.